0: Father, I thank you for Alan. I pray that your spirit and your presence would just rest upon him, God. We thank you for the word that you have given him and how you placed that in his heart. Uh, God, I thank you for the journey that we as a church are going on in terms of discipleship. And I pray that we, we would hear from you, God. We hear your heart. That We would understand that, that Jesus modeled out something 2,000 years ago that we're called to today. And so we ask your spirit and your presence to be with all, but also that our hearts and minds will be open to what you're saying. Amen. 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 Thank you, Chris. <clears throat> Morning, everyone. Morning. It's good to see you all. I um, hope you had a good week, enjoying the weather. Unfortunately, it's broken <laughs> over the last 24 hours. Um, but all is good. Ireland won the rugby. And um, I wasn't checking in church or anything. Don't, don't worry. Um, but what we um, what we want to... Try and do this morning is crack into our uh, theme over these uh, sort of autumn winter months. It's called Following Jesus in All of Life. And uh, before I kind of get cracked into that, just a little bit of a preamble. We have been um, exploring over the last few weeks um, some vision, um, how we feel that God is leading us forward in this season. We've been um, saying um, uh, that we've been taking communion every day for the last two weeks together, and um, it's been great um, to get a bit of a response the last week. Thank you for those of you who signed up for different ministries and giving and things like that. It's <clears throat> it's great to be able to respond to what the Lord is doing. And as as we've been um, introducing that sort of sense of vision and where we went, want, want to go this this uh, term, we 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 felt the Lord. Hopefully, you've picked this up. by now we felt the Lord draw us in this season of realignment uh, with Himself—a a kind of holy focus in the midst of a very noisy culture and world that we live in at the moment. There's all sorts of like kind of opinion out there at the moment. There's all sorts of kind of Facebook warriors doing their thing. Um, and in the midst of a lot of noise, we feel like the Holy Spirit is saying just to kind of focus in on Jesus and um, on the cross. And um, our lives, other things in our lives, other things in our faith are not unimportant, but we just feel like the Holy Spirit is intensifying his presence on us as a people at the moment and encouraging us towards a renewed vision of Jesus and his cross, and a refining, a kind of consecration moment across our churches, because in the big picture of things, we really feel like the Holy Spirit wants to move, and that's what I'm looking at tonight in Lurgan as well, if you can come along to that, Um, uh, hopefully this is going to work, no, there we go, so um, our first kind of aim that we said last week was um as we as we long to see the vision of a city and a land rewritten, we want to see a move of God, we want to posture and prepare ourselves to help steward a move of God's spirit in the nation. That's what that's what we're living for and pushing towards at the moment. And um, and yet our number two aim is to very quickly realize that in order to do that we need to create a culture of radical discipleship that releases a movement of people fulfilling the Great Commission. So in other words, if we feel like there's a sense of new outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a flooding of his presence that he wants to pour out amongst us, we need to do the work like anybody would. If there's going to be a flood coming, they would do some work around the flood banks, they would create some new space, they would make some changes in order to be able to steward the new wine that the Holy Spirit is pouring out. And so we we want to uh, desperately want to do the work of preparation for what we believe God is calling us to do, to clean up our often distracted eyes, to ask the Holy Spirit to unblock our ears and to help him to cleanse our beings, to cleanse our systems, if you like, so that we can truly be vessels for the Holy Spirit's presence and power to move. And so we've been trying to communicate that over the last few weeks. And what, what I've been trying to say is, though, all of that will just seem like preacher talk It'll seem at best Alan, just trying to motivate the church to kind of come on, let's get into a new season. It'll feel like um, just to kind of like you have to pull yourself up from your bootstraps kind of mentality. It'll be that kind of a thing unless unless we get a fresh glimpse of who Jesus is. Unless we realize how beautiful and worthy he really is. Unless as we look at him his beauty and his awesomeness and his worthiness that we talked about this morning captivates us. Otherwise, I can preach here down blue in the face. But if it's not the Spirit of God, I'm talking to myself as well, by the way. If it's not the Spirit of God opening the eyes of our heart to see again the beauty of Jesus. Can I offer just a slight kind of um, maybe correction to some of us today? In, in, in the wrong sense of the word familiar, some of us have got just so familiar with Jesus. We just heard the story so many times that we, we, we just got so familiar in the wrong kind of way that we just need a fresh glimpse of his beauty. He's become the person that we just heard about in Sunday school and not the living Lord of our lives, the one that we kind of like when we see him, we want to fall down. And, and, and what I would just encourage you, I don't mean that to sound in any way like a condemning thing, I just want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see Jesus. Yeah, that's what I'm encouraging to do. Tim Keller says it well. In religion, you obey God because he's useful. In Christianity, you get obey God because he's beautiful. And so, so many of us have, have grown up, you know, with a kind of more religious mindset. You know, a prayer because I have to. Or a prayer because it's useful too because I'll get hopefully what I need to get and God look after my family and get me that new job I'm looking and make sure we have enough money in the bank and protect me and da 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 But it's not really driven by a captivation of the beauty of who Jesus is. And we really feel like the Holy Spirit is calling us to do that. And so over the last two weeks, that's why one of the main reasons why we've been trying to encourage families to take communion together every two weeks. I would encourage you, if you haven't been able to do that because of whatever, I would encourage you to do it this week. Just... Discipline yourself. <clears throat> We've enjoyed doing it together as a family, and just allowing ourselves every day to be a little bit more enriched by what the Holy Spirit is looking to show us about who Jesus is, and what He has done, and that He would release a fresh revelation of His beauty. And it doesn't have to be some big dramatic thing every day or every night, but it can be just as you discipline yourself to do it. You're kind of orientating and submitting your heart to the Lordship of Jesus, and we want to teach you through this term as As we teach you through this term, we just really want to encourage you to come to church, to come together with an expectation to worship Jesus, to have the eyes of our heart really opened up, to have our eyes touched again, to see him more truly as he is. Because I suppose what we're boldly proclaiming is this um, is a statement, we're boldly proclaiming, next one, that our original design is to be like Jesus. But if you don't see him, that will sound like that will not sound very um, achievable. But when we see him, there's something that wants in us that wants to become like him. Our key text on the screen in the um, next one, normal chapter is uh, in the normal for NAV This is you, you might recognise this, and I'm going to read it in the message in a moment. For those God foreknew, He also predestined. To be conformed to the image of a son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he glorified. So, so this, is, this is how it says it, you know, paraphrased in the message. And we really think this is really beautiful. And it's kind of the verse that we want to, you know, center everything around. Forward again, thanks. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. Just reread that sentence for a moment, would you? And try your best not to think it's for everybody else. Right? He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. And after he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. Paul is writing to the Romans here. This is Paul's masterpiece sort of theological treaty that he has written um, to the people in the church in Rome. And he's stating very categorically, he's not pulling any punches here when he's saying Jesus is the original archetype for humanity. He is the firstborn above all creation, right? And so he is the one that every human being is supposed to become like, is supposed to be transformed into the image of, the one we are called to emulate, the one we are called to be morphed into, if you like, right? This is the great vision of our life. The great vision of our life is to take on the very life of Jesus in and through ourselves, and Paul is saying it's God's desire to shape us into that same image. And so um, C.S. Lewis says it like this: "There's going to be a wee bit of C.S. Lewis this morning, all right, because um, he's great on this kind of stuff." And I read Mere Christianity when he was about twenty years of age, and I just nobody had ever talked to me like that before. Okay, so uh, there's going to be a wee bit of C.S. Lewis, but before Mr. Mayor Christianity, it's it's the it's it's screw tape letters. And so this will not make sense unless you understand what the screw tape letters are, okay? So listen to this really, really quickly. The screw tape letters are C.S. Lewis's attempt to help Christians understand how the enemy basically attacks them. And so the screw tape letters are basically letters from a senior kind of demon to a junior demon. About how to upset Christians, how to take them off track. Okay, it's very, very cleverly written. It's a, it's a bit of a masterpiece. It's a classic. Okay, and so he is right. And so when he talks about the enemy, he's talking about Christians. Okay, because it's like the junior demon talking to the, the senior demon, talking to the junior demon about how to get at Christians. And this is what the senior demon is saying to Junior Wormwood or whatever his name was. One must face the fact. That all the talk about his, that's God's love for man and his service being perfect freedom, is not, as one would gladly believe, mere propaganda, but it's an appalling truth. <laughs> it's an appalling truth to the enemy. That God's desire to make man like himself is not just mere propaganda. It's not like a nice wee kind of sentimental idea. He actually means it. He actually means it. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own. Not because he has absorbed them, but because, look at this, because their wills freely conform to his. Because there's a bunch of people on the earth that have loved and seen Jesus so much that they freely and lovingly offer up their lives in order to be conformed into the same will as that of their maker, Jesus. We want cattle. This is the enemy. We want the devil, right? We want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full. And flows over. Our war, right? So the devil's war aim is a world in which our father, that's the enemy, balloon, the devil, below has drawn all things into himself. So the devil just wants to kind of draw all things into himself and take it all out. The enemy, when he talks about the enemy, he's talking about God, wants a world full of beings united to him, but still distinct. The high calling of our lives, people, is to be like Jesus the high calling of our lives is to be changed and transformed into the likeness of Christ. He is the firstborn. He is the archetype human being, the firstborn of all creation. And the amazing, startling, stunning, almost unbelievable truth is that he thinks we can become like him. He wants us to become like him. He wants us to become replicas of him, united to him, and yet... Not in some kind of way that we all lose our distinctness, but we would all do it in different ways. So we'd all be these individuals who are united to Christ and one in him, but all reflect part of his glory in a different way. That's why heaven is going to be so awesome. It's going to be so wonderful. It's not going to be boring, that's for sure. We're all going to reflect him in different ways. Because his glory is so inexhaustible, it's so big that each one of us reflect it in a different way. So we distinctly and uniquely reflect the glory of Jesus. It just looks like Jesus in every single one of us. And um, and so he wants to take us. What I want to say to you is, because some of us, I feel, and I've been here in my own life, have plateaued in our Christian life. And maybe it's because we just don't have a vision for Christlikeness. We're just trying to get through. And I can understand that, the certain seasons of life where that's, you know, In some ways it's understandable. But God doesn't want to do half-message. And even the times that are most painful, that God weeps with us and enters into our pain and validates our pain in all those wonderful ways. He wants Because he, he's God, he uses them not, not to a, teach us a lesson, kind of like school of hard knocks kind of way. He uses them to make us like himself, to become more compassionate, to become more loving, to become more sacrificial. To move in his power more. And God wants to take us right through into Christlikeness. And, and this is what I want us to really try and grasp with Here's a little bit more of C.S. Lewis this morning. He says this in Mere Christianity. Next one, please, Suzanne. Give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time. Some of us are thinking if I could just give God more time, and that would be good. But listen to the deeper thing he's saying. I don't want so much of your time. So much of your talents and your money and so much of your work. I want you. I want all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out, handed over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make of you a new self in my image. Give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. I read that when I was 20 years old and realized my vision of Christianity was far too small. But that there was, a, there was something about the lover of my souls, the creator of the universe, who was calling me to be like him. But it required me giving my whole self. Maybe you don't believe this. The question on our survey on the next slide that we had a couple of weeks ago was, um, I believe that it's possible for me to live a life that reflects the life of Jesus. of people that responded to that strongly agreed. 38% or so agreed. 9% were like, somewhat. Right? It's really helpful, so thank you for doing that. It's really, really helpful. But I want to strongly propose today that all of us can strongly agree. That's my prayer. That all of us would strongly agree with this answer. That... It is possible for us to live a life that reflects Jesus. Thank you for being honest. Because it shows us the truth will set you free for a start, right? We can start from a place of honesty and truth, right? But what I want to try and propose is all of us have been called to live a life that reflects the life of Jesus. It doesn't really matter what you've done, where you've been, what's going on in your life, because I know that's where some of you are going right now in your heads. Well, I could if I hadn't have done this. Well, I could have been like Jesus if, I, if this hadn't happened in my life. That's, that's, that's a lie in the enemy. That's a lie in the devil. Let me try and like, uh, let me try and give you another verse here on the scripture just to try and prove it a little bit more. His divine power, this is Second Peter, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, look at this, you may participate in the divine nature. We've set the bar far too low as a church. Come to church on Sunday, clean up your act a little bit, all that kind of nonsense. That's not Christianity, that's religion. You were made to participate in the divine nature for the life of Christ to be formed in you in such a way that you reflect them. Because we've escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And so there's divine power available to participate in the divine nature. Right? That's what's available to us. Divine power. Power that comes from God to participate and become more like God. It's what some theologians call, um, this big word, next slide, Christoformity, being Formed into the likeness of Christ. It's the idea that we're actually kind of being co morphed. We're being like morphed into the image of his son. It's not just sometimes when we say Christ likeness, it feels like Jesus is kind of up there, distant from us, and we're just trying to like do like copycat traits. Right? It's like we'll kind of copy a bit of what he does and see if we can get there. It's it's a much deeper thing than that. By his spirit, we are united to Christ. And we're being morphed by his power in us into the image of his son. Does that make sense? That's why we have to learn how to abide in Christ in us. We're being changed from the inside out. It's an inside job, right? It's an inside job. It's not like an external, I just look at a few things and try to copy them with my own willpower. It's an internal change. And so as we allow his spirit to move in us, we begin to take the life of Christ into ourselves. A little bit more. Next one. To have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do what he says. There'd be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you did not take his advice. Thus, if you had really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you're trying to obey him. But trying in a new way, in a less worried way, I love this, Not doing things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because, I love this, because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. This isn't, you'll hear Chris and I talk about this a lot, this isn't behavior modification. This isn't who's the best Christian because they do the best things. This isn't, you know, go home and pull yourself together and sort yourself out and then come back to church. This is, we've all, we get to taste. You get to taste. You don't get to know intellectually. You get to actually taste. Right? Some of us have seen a birthday cake there today. We cannot wait until tea and coffee. Right? Because... We're not going to, hopefully if you get there in time, not just going to look at the thing and have a conversation about how nice the thing is and what bakery actually made it and how good the icing is. You get to put your teeth into it. Chew it. Swallow it. <laughs> Saliva's working already. Eh? Right? Swallow it and become part of you. We get to taste Jesus. We get to taste his goodness we get, even if it's the first faint gleam of heaven inside us, and we long for more, because it was what we were made for. And we get, the, we get we, we, that first faint gleam of heaven then becomes an empowerment. It's light. It's like a lightness, but it's an empowering thing that wants us to become more like Jesus. We die to our own desires so that he might be formed in us. And so then we start to learn the art of dying. (laughs) We start to learn the art of dying to our own desires, so that more of those first faint gleams of heaven that we've experienced, those bits that we've tasted of his goodness and power can be changed in us. Galatians 2. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's a great verse to learn. I had this one written up in my little room in university when I was at Halls and just tried to daily practice this verse, learn it. To learn the art of dying, to learn the heart of Jesus. Before I go into this day, help me not to live for myself. Come by your spirit and fill me so I might live to you. All these own desires that I'm struggling with, all these own selfish, fleshly kind of, help me, just to, help me just to reckon myself today dead, dead, crucified with Christ, so that your life can come and fill me. It's a great way to go into your day. And so we practice this. Instead of becoming greedy, we realize that over time we started to become generous. We realize that some of that hatred and bigotry that we even just inherited by being in this country. Or maybe our parents taught us. We realize as we receive, and as we die to that, we realize that we start to find a love and an affection for people from the other side of the community. And we actually realize that in Christ we become one. And that those distinctions are man-made and not godly. We start to realize that instead of becoming forgiven, instead of being unforgiven and angry people, we learn even in the harshest of circumstances, even when you have every right to feel unforgiven, we learn slowly but surely to become people of forgiveness and grace and peace. We learn when we always want to win, and we always want to be top dog, and we always want to be center of attention. We learn how to be content sometimes with coming second, with somebody else getting the limelight somebody else being promoted. We come to be okay with those things because slowly but surely we're changed and transformed. And so the Bible is really explicit, to be honest, about what Christoformity looks like. You'll know these verses, but let's just read them again. Paul says to the Galatians, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Right? There's a war going on there between ourselves. And between our spirit. They're in conflict with one another so you, you're not, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Right? They're obvious. <laughs> they're, they're playing some se- sexual immorality. Right? Just doing what you want sexually. It's, it's not of the spirit. Impurity. Debauchery. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Right, so the kind of the big things that we all know, but then hatred, discord, be, being somebody that brings division and discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Anybody got an anger problem? Anybody like quick to fly off the handle? I'll, I'll put my hand up, all right? You don't have to put yours up, but that's not of the Spirit. That needs a bit of work. We need to work on that by the Spirit of God if that's an evidence in their life, selfish ambition. Anybody got a bit of that? Anybody just want to make make their mark in the world and have their name and everything and be known and seen as top dog? S- selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. Are you involved in any factions in your workplace? Are you are you are you helping stir up strife by the conversations that you're getting in? <laughs> you know, this is challenging stuff, isn't it? Envy. Drunkenness, orgies and the like. These are all things of the flesh. These are not Christ-like qualities. And if they are seen in our lives, then they give us evidence that the Spirit of God needs to do some work. And we need to allow Him. And contrary to that, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and forbearance, and kindness, And goodness. And faithfulness and gentleness and self control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and the desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So it's pretty plain and simple. This is what a life, a cruciform life, a life that looks like Jesus, looks like. And I suppose over the next few weeks, what we really want to do. Is teach on top of displaying these character traits, right? So Jesus had all of these, obviously, because he was Jesus. But what we want you to kind of start noticing is that Jesus had certain disciplines and practices and holy habits that that seemed to help him uh, fulfill what a life in the Spirit looked like. And I, I know we can argue at this point. Then we can go, but if of course, Jesus was able to do these things. He was Jesus, for goodness sake. And um, surely Jesus didn't need practices or habits or disciplines in his life to be formed into Jesus. Did Jesus need practices to be formed into Jesus? Because he surely he was Jesus. How does that make any sense at all? And that's a good question. And there is kind of mystery. And we do well to acknowledge that Jesus is Jesus and we are not Jesus, right? But it does seem to show us in the Bible without getting down a whole rabbit hole here, that Jesus grew into his understanding of who he was, his own calling and his identity. Let me show you a verse on the screen. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Fascinating verse, isn't it? Surely Jesus didn't need to learn anything. He was Jesus. But yet he was fully human. He was like us. Right, Jesus was fully human, the firstborn of creation, the archetype human being. And he learned obedience. And he had certain things in his life. That see, and the Bible seems to suggest that Jesus learned some things in his humanity. Some things that we, if we want to follow in his footsteps and become like him, would do well to practice and to become aware of in our lives. Dallas Willard puts it like this. We cannot, af- we cannot adopt his form of life without engaging in his disciplines. Maybe even more than he did, and surely adding others demanded by our much more troubled condition. That's kind of an understatement, isn't it? If ever you read one. So he's saying, like, if we want to really adopt the life of Jesus, we can't do that without adop- adopting the practices of Jesus. We can't, like, become like Jesus if we're not prepared to do the things that Jesus seemed to do in order to kind of be Jesus, if that makes sense, Right? And maybe even more so because we're a wee bit more, it's fair to say, deformed than our spirits, aren't we? Spirits, we're a bit more deformed. And we need more work than Jesus needed, obviously. And in one way, Jesus was fully God, but he shows us in his humanity that there were certain things in his life that helped him live a life that stayed in step with the Spirit. Right? And that's what we want to get to. And so over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be teaching on six Six specific kind of practices between now and Christmas. We're going to take two weeks in each one. That we believe Jesus practiced these particular disciplines. And if we want to adopt that same life, we need to enter into it. We don't believe in Jesus just because we got some stuff that we believe in our heads. We believe by the way we live. We trust into him as a person. And uh, if we believe that he's the firstborn of creation, then we want to practice what he practiced. In Jesus, we see the intended shape of our lives. And these are the six practices. Chris is going to be kicking off the prayer and worship one next week. And then we're going to take two weeks on each one. And we're going to get really practical. We're going to encourage you. I want to encourage you not just to allow this to be a preach for us up here. But I want all of us to think about how can we start to get really practical about how these become practices in our lives. Because they can be. They, they can be. You, 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 we just need to have, just sometimes have to have some hard conversations with ourselves and our lives and our other commitments in order and sometimes to discipline ourselves to enter into the kind of practices that Jesus was and to grow in those together because that's the life that we're always supposed to have, a life that looks like Jesus. And before we do that, it's really imperative that we realize something. And this is one I want to finish with. Just um, take 10 or 15 minutes then we're going to remember the Lord because I want to just leave good time for that this morning. Before we enter into teaching and ease, right? Back one a wee second, Suzanne, please. Before we enter into teaching and ease, it's just really, really important for us because we could have launched straight into prayer today. It's really, really important. We're teaching this in Lurgan as well today that you can't do these things by yourself, right? Now, listen to me really, really good From This is not a willpower thing. It's not your own will. Your will is important. You have to engage your will with the process. Your free will. Because you've been given a choice. And love is a choice. Right? But it's a, it can only happen. This change and transformation can only happen with the help of the Holy Spirit. It can only come through the Spirit's work in our lives. We cannot become like Jesus and become empowered to do the kind of things Jesus did without the daily infilling of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, the presence of God Himself. And again, Jesus, the archetype for humanity, the firstborn of creation, the Son of God Himself, He modeled this for us. Yeah. Luke is probably the one that shows us the most. But in the first few chapters, He was conceived by the Spirit, right? He, he, uh, he was baptized when the Holy Spirit was there. When he went uh, to be tempted in the devil, it says that the Spirit led him to be tempted. When he came back from being tempted, he said he came back in the power of the Spirit. And before he started to do his ministry in Luke chapter 4, it said that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord was on him. The The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, was all over Jesus and all over his ministry. And Jesus, here's what I want you to hear, Jesus was zero resistant to the Holy Spirit zero resistance. There was nothing in Jesus that resisted the life of the Spirit in him, on him, and empowering him for ministry. And so what I want to say today is no matter what you've been taught or what you've seen or what you've heard or just even maybe some ignorance about who the Holy Spirit is, I want to encourage you that he is the one who comes to create within us the person that we were always called to be. And so the Spirit was there in two, like lots of ways, but two main ways I'm going to propose just as we bring this through, right? Two main ways the Spirit was on Jesus. In two main ways I think he wants to be in us. Number one, to affirm his identity. And number two, to empower him for influence, right? Identity and influence. So first one, let's see what it was like on the life of Jesus, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Again, there's, a, there's another way Jesus modeled it for us, right? Baptism. We should all be baptized. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You're my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The Spirit is there when Jesus is baptized, At the beginning of his ministry, after 30 years of being the carpenter's son, Jesus is about to launch into ministry. We often say, God the Father could have said lots of things over Jesus. But he said this one thing, you're my son, and I love you. And we see this beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus, almost bringing that affirmation of his identity. You're my son, I love you, I'm delighted in you. Every single one of us need to, I believe, and can hear that same voice every single day. You're my son. You're my daughter. In fact, I'm going to argue that no real genuine transformation can come until you hear that, until you have a knowledge of that. Because before you get a knowledge of that, and if you don't get a knowledge of that, then you'll end up trying to impress God all your life. Trying to prove something to God. But the Holy Spirit is needed first and foremost. If the work of transformation into Christ likeness is to come, then first and foremost we need to hear his voice. Speaking gently, tenderly, but powerfully to us. Right into the very right into the very gut of who we are, in a way that kind of like echoes right round the whole part of our soul. You're my son and I love you. You're my daughter and I love you. Secondly, Jesus also needed the Spirit on him for influence, okay? And so it tells us this. So this is, Jesus, this is not long after Jesus was baptized. Jesus returned to Galilee. Look, what does it say? In the power of the Spirit. Jesus lived a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. As was his custom, he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found a place where it is written. Next one. Oh. Is the other one there? No. Go back one or two. Sorry. So... No back, back to the one you're at, okay, so right? it is written. let me see if we can quote it. then he says Isaiah sixty one he basically quotes, "The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to, pro- pro- to proclaim the acceptable, favorable year of the Lord. and so Jesus comes in the power of the spirit. And the text that he uses to describe his ministry starts with, Isaiah chapter 61, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was needed when it came to Jesus' understanding of his identity and affirmation of that, and his empowering influence in order to do his ministry. Jesus did nothing outside the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And the challenge to us is how many times do we, do we try to do it on our own? He was zero resistance, and he's an example for us to follow. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, Those who are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. We, we need a fresh receiving of the Holy Spirit daily in our lives to empower us for influence. And that is something that we can call upon at any moment in the day. My car journeys in between meetings become, Holy Spirit, I need you fresh. Just, just The traffic lights have went red. <laughs> just for a few minutes. Holy Spirit, we just come and film. I'm going into something here that's going to, be, it's going to be tough. Or I'm going to meet somebody here. God, I'd love to be in the Spirit when I'm talking to them. I'd just love to be able to talk out of a well of your presence and not just my own good ideas. I'd love not just to impress them with my own intellect or my own experience, but I'd love to, because it's not that great. I'd love to speak out of your spirit. You take five minutes, decide at your lunch, go for a walk, Holy Spirit, I'd love to receive from you again. It's, it, it, the spirit's without measure, you know. He's always looking to pour himself out in us. He's always looking to fill us. He's always looking to affirm us. Or maybe you're just tormented at the minute. You don't know who you are, what you're supposed to be doing. And you just need the affirmation of the Holy Spirit to be in your life. No change or transformation will happen without it. You'll just keep going around the hamster wheel, trying to do your best to keep this kind of Christian thing together. And then something huge comes and whacks into life a curveball and all of a sudden we're left scrambling. And the Holy Spirit wants to meet us today. And so as we kind of draw this to a close, let's get really personal and practical. Let's ask ourselves the question this morning. Where have we tried to change ourselves in the past? Out of mere willpower and human strength. How can you, how can I, how can we make more room for the Holy Spirit in our lives? How can we decrease so he can increase? You see, it's interesting Final thoughts. It's interesting that we're told in Galatians that I think this is on the screen that if we if we next one. No, I don't have this one. Go back to that one. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's interesting that we're told in Galatians that if we walk, listen to this. If we walk we read this a minute ago, if we walk by the spirit, you'll be able to overcome the loss of the flesh. Okay. Listen to that again. This is this is this is. I think this is really important, right? If you are led by the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, how many people try to do it the other way around? I'll control the flesh, and then I'll maybe be good enough to get the Holy Spirit. Just be honest with yourself for a minute. How many people have tried to do that? How many? How many people have just tried to do that? I'll, I'll control the flesh. I'll get a, get a handle on this thing and then maybe I'll be good enough to come to God, and then maybe he'll accept me a wee bit more, and I can have a bit more of him. That's a lie of the enemy. The Holy Spirit saying, no, learn to stay in step with me, learn to live in the Spirit, and I'll change and transform you. And it's not to say that, I'm not trying to say for one moment that our will isn't important. It's incredibly important that we engage our free will with the process. But if we think our will is going to do it on its own without that receiving of the Holy Spirit, then we've believed the biggest lie that there is. And the Holy Spirit wants to say to us today that if we stand step by him, we'll be changed and transformed from the inside out. The other question on the survey was, I recognize and rely on the Holy Spirit to empower and change me to become like Christ. I recognize and rely on the Holy Spirit to empower and change me to become like Christ. 61% of the people said, Always, good for you. Sixty-one percent, thirty-seven percent said sometimes. i will probably be there, probably be in the sometimes section too, because that's the reality, isn't it? Sometimes we recognise and rely on the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> and so as we live by the Spirit, we come to realise that in the process of spiritual transformation. Yeah, yes, this time. That we realise that it's not about controlling our sinful acts, but it's rather allowing God to change the source. It's allowing, first and foremost, it's about allowing God to show us that the source is his presence, the, sp- the source is his spirit's activity in our lives. The, sp- the source is receiving from him, receiving his presence, changing us in our identity, affirming who we are in Christ, bringing to light those things we need to repent of, transforming us. And by nature then, those sinful acts become more in the line with how God wants us to live. So we need to learn how to abide in Christ. And there's a whole other sermon I could preach here about how to develop a life of prayer, which I'm not going to do, but that's what we're going to do next week. How, how do we abide in Christ? How do we learn how to receive from the Spirit? have a life abiding in him we need to get plugged into the source yeah you get plugged into the source and stop running on our own energy to try and change things Spark wars against the flesh and can I just say like you know I'm saying this to myself too but uh, over the last few weeks it's just been grieved in my own in my own life but also in just in the life of people that I know that love Jesus that you know, it's not like they've done it. It's not like they've done anything really, really bad. But just the shadow of self, slowly but surely, has just hardened their hearts to some stuff. Because the spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh wars against the spirit. And it's really easy for some subtle stuff just to start to creep in. And before we know it, it's like a compass, isn't it? It feels like it's only a degree out, out, and so. There's you know, you don't have to worry about a degree out, but if you keep if you start your journey from there, you know, it doesn't take too long to work, to till you're far away from true north. And, and and the enemy gets in there and brings all sorts of shame and condemnation, him. we don't think we can get back. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants to say today you can get back. He wants you to stay in step with him. He wants you to walk with him, and um, he will shed light. He will shed light in those things, but in a way that brings us to forgiveness. And so the way that the Spirit leads us, where the Spirit leads us, is to the cross, which you're going to remember. How does the Holy Spirit lead us to that process of transformation? He leads us to Jesus. He leads us to the cross, and in the cross, in the cross, the power that's in our flesh and the authority that our flesh has that binds us to sin. In and through the cross, that power is broken. In and through the cross, the power of self is broken. Do you know why it's broken? Because Jesus went through it himself. Jesus kneeled down on the night before he went to the cross, and he prayed that prayer. And every time I think about it, it sounds like a shudder down my spine. Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way? Nevertheless, he doesn't get an answer. He doesn't get an answer. Nevertheless, not my, not myself. Not my will. Not myself. Your will be done. And when all of hell, when every demon in hell has concentrated their attack on Jesus in those moments, he finds a way because he was in the Spirit, despite all, his, despite all his humanity that we see in that moment. He finds a way, through the divine power at work with him, to set his face as a flint, to eyeball the enemy straight back, to stir darkness in the eye, and to say, Not my self, but yours be done. And because Jesus done it for us, we can do it. Because he's done it for us. And so the Spirit will bring us and lead us to the cross. Where we find a power that breaks the power of self. No matter how powerful you think it is. And so we, every day, we, if we're in the Spirit, this is what we do every day. We acknowledge, through the Spirit, we acknowledge the cross and we appropriate the cross. So that's, what I, that's what, the way I've tried to live my life, since, since I really gave my life to Jesus, I've to acknowledge the cross of Jesus and appropriate the cross of Jesus. In other words, it's appropriate means it's as powerful today as it was when I first got saved. I'm going to appropriate to my life. I'm going to choose that verse in Galatians, 2. I'm going to wreck uh, in Romans 6. I'm going to rack myself there, but it's no longer I who live. Help me to live my life today in a way, Jesus. It's not me who's living, but Christ who's living in me in order for me to reflect Jesus in the unique ways that he wants me to do it. Yeah? And as I do that, I'm slowly but surely changed and transformed into his likeness. And so as we teach these six practices, it's so important. In some ways, this is, this is the most important talk of all of them in some ways because none of them will happen none of them will happen you'll you'll chris can talk about prayer next week and maybe the week after and you'll go away thinking yeah, yeah we're all fired up you know we'll go we'll do an extra 5 minutes and we'll get up a little bit earlier and you'll you know you'll do that for you know 6 weeks and you'll feel like a brilliant you'll oh, it'll be great i'm a really good christian and stuff and then it'll go again and then you'll think oh you know i'm not a good christian da 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 and it's just all willpower it's just all trying to externally impress god <clears throat> unless you learn how to live in the Spirit, how to receive the Spirit, how to choose to die to self, and then those decisions actually become things that you long for. Because as C.S. Lewis has said, you've tasted the first gleams of heaven inside you, and they make you hungry for more. And so, as we close today, I'd love us just. Let me just take a moment. Feel the Spirit of the Lord here this morning. He's just um, resting, I think, on us and on our hearts. And I just feel like the invitation. The invitation from the Holy Spirit is here, just for more, just to a life of a, a life of depth, a deeper desire for His presence, and, and in these moments, why don't you just allow the Holy Spirit? It's to affirm you you in your sonship and in your daughterhood. And maybe today you've never come to know yourself as a son of God or a daughter of the Lord. And in these moments, right now, the Holy Spirit is just drawing you to himself. I just want to encourage you in these moments, just just open up your heart to them, let them in. All you need to say is, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Come and rule in my heart. Come and be the king of my life. for those of us who have maybe prayed that prayer before but you've got away from the source and you're just trying to control the acts and feeling like you're feeling just in these moments you just feel the Holy Spirit wants to remind you that he is the source of all of your life and just allow your heart to sink down into his love and into his desire for you and allow him just to Allow him just to remind you that he is the source of your life. And with that life comes victory and power and love. So come, Holy Spirit, in these moments. Just increase your presence, Holy Spirit. Just increase your presence. Lord, we don't want to give you just our time our money, our talents. We want to give you ourselves in this moment. Thank you, Jesus, that you broke the power of self, selfish ambition, self-centeredness. Thank you that you broke the power of it at the cross and the illegitimate desire for self, the root in our hearts has been broken in and through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we come to partake and to eat of this table together so we remember your body broken and your blood shed we thank you for the victory that comes with that so we can become like you give us a vision for christ's likeness oh god we pray that we've never had before holy spirit i just ask you to come today and give us a vision a fresh glimpse Lord, another taste of the beauty and the glory of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, the most fulfilled and beautiful human being that has ever lived, the one that we want to emulate and become. Give us a taste of his beauty again this morning, we pray, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together, could we? And